Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello, welcome back to the Capital Club podcast. Today, I'm here with Amanda Fox. And Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. You have uh, come a long way and it's late your time. And so I appreciate you uh, carving out part of your schedule. As background, Amanda's been in practice as a wealth counselor with high net worth individuals in the UK and internationally for over two decades. She works with the internal challenges that being a wealth holder brings. And her clients describe her as a trusted confidant in their personal lives. So let's start with your personal life. How did you get into this? What is a fairly esoteric business, I must say? Yes, yes, it is. Um, how I got into it is I've been a, a psychotherapist in the city of London, in the financial district for 18 years. And the reason I mentioned City of London is it's, it's, it's the direct link through to me working with high net worth individuals and ultra high net worth individuals. Where I'm based, I'm surrounded by, I don't know if you know, Brian, the, the, the City of London. It's, it's, it's the Wall Street area, if you like, of, of central London. Uh, you have just referred to it as the city, if I'm correct. We just call it the city. The city. Yes, yeah. the city. And so it's a square mile. If anybody doesn't know it, that, that we're speaking to it's a square mile within this very, very center of London. It's the very old part of London. Uh, and it's where banking started in coffee houses. Uh, I think it was Lloyd's Coffee House that then became Lloyd's Bank, I think was the first, the first bank, if I'm not mistaken. So here I am with my psychotherapy practice in this area. 
And not by design, I was meeting clients. It just happened very organically that my clients were coming to me, not originally for wealth counseling, for all the other reasons that people come to a psychotherapist. And I noticed that if I ever mentioned wealth holding to them, there would be kind of like a clamming up and a reticence. And that got, that got me to curious and, and wondering, why will people talk to me about childhood abuse, about their divorce, about business problems, about relationship issues, you know, anything like that. But if I referred to, oh, so you flew in to such and such an airfield, with such and such an airfield, clearly to me being somewhere where private jets come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The backtracking, backtracking. And so I, with my natural innate curiosity, got, got to talk to people, got to ask people, you know, what is it? You know, I've just mentioned to you about the likelihood of you flying in on a private jet. And I noticed that you've gone very quiet. And I realized, it didn't take me long to realize that people thought I would judge them. I would judge them negatively. And I'm not going to do that. I've never done that. Being a wealth holder is one aspect of you. Yes, it can define you. It doesn't necessarily define you. But for me, as your therapist, it's one of the things that I'm interested in about you. And the more I had conversations with people about their wealth holding in the early days, the more I learned how fearful they were of being judged and how they tended to keep on the down low, uh, their, their financial status. And in the years to come, the word went around that I was a safe person to discuss um, financial issues with, problems around finances, relationship issues around finances, family issues, and so forth. And as I say, organically, my, my practice has taken me in that direction. I wasn't seeking it, but it's, it's, it's taken me there. And I'm glad because it's, it's very, very interesting for me. And I'm very happy to do this work. It, it's fascinating. And I read an article that you were quoted in about this issue, about wealth counseling. And I just sent you a cold note and here we are, because I think it's fascinating too. Let's get some definitions out of the way so that we can explore a little bit deeper. Yes. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what wealth counseling is and the relationship it may or may not have with psychotherapy, yes. psychiatry, psychoanalysis, just so people understand exactly kind of yes. your subject matter expertise? Yes, that's, that's, a, that's a fantastic question and something I really wanted to, to discuss with you because I've realized in reading profiles of the other wealth counselors, mostly in the States, because in, in the UK, or I can only find two other people doing this, but I'm, I'm learning that wealth counseling means different things to different wealth counselors. And, and, and what it means to me is it's the personal interface between the individual and their wealth that really, really interests me. So people are, are born into wealth or they acquire it as they make their way through life. They work hard, they sell a business, they get divorced, they inherit, or they're in receipt of, a, of an intergenerational wealth transfer. And people generally tend to see you as lucky 
and that you should be happy. And in fact, for some people, neither of those things is true. And people tend to seek me out for wealth counselling, either when a change in circumstances has happened or is about to happen, or they've had enough of trying to make sense of an enduring problem on their own. And if their circumstances has changed or is about to change, I help them to make choices and decisions that are supportive of who they are at their core. And I help them with the psychological and emotional aspects of change. I am a psychotherapist at heart, but this isn't me advising on, on, on wealth, on, on what to do with their wealth. It's helping people be congruent with who they are and how they want to be with their wealth. We would look at any effect on relationships. We would look with their families and their friends, and I would help them make sense of things that show up that aren't necessarily logical in their lives. There can be existential challenges for someone if there's change on the horizon or if change has taken place in that they may have known who they were before the acquisition of wealth. And they may not really understand who they are now. Who do you choose to be when your circumstances change? You know, wealth counselling can be a story of transformation, of reinvention. And I'll say more about change, you know, in a little while. But wealth counselling for me is going on an internal journey with somebody and is never, ever simplistic, as simplistic as being solely about wealth. We're multidimensional and and there's always a bigger context for wealth. There's always a bigger picture to explore, Brian. And wealth, wealth, wealth counselling for me, the wealth is a dot in my vision that I pull on and a long string starts to appear and unravel and the whole world appears to both of us, me and my client, that you as my client may never have talked about before. We may, ne- may never have talked befa- about before and may never even have fully considered before. And it can be a deeply personal journey and it's never less than fascinating. And it could be emotional. It could be to do with loss. It could be to do with grief, trauma, family history, betrayal, challenging relationships. They can all be part of the landscape. Experiences that I see as being able to take a chunk out of a person can be around the issue. Of, of wealth. Of course it can. And we're speaking, we're recording this on the day, at least in the States, that the, the Queen Elizabeth has passed away. And th- I think yes. this is a good example, right? It's, you're talking about on one level, maybe the largest transfer of wealth that will occur in Britain uh, ever, um, or at least, you know, one of the largest wealthiest families in the UK, there's this transfer of wealth that is occurring simultaneously. But then there's the other side of the story, which is there is a death involved, right? This inheritance is triggered by a very sad event, the loss of the queen. And so I think it's important for people to understand this distinction or this odd duality that can occur where Charles has had a liquidity event, but he's also suffered this horrendous loss in his life. And there are people that would help him with the capital side of it, but then there should also be professionals involved with his emotional 
well-being. Yes. And, and that's really where you, you come in, correct? That's, that's exactly, Brian. Yes, you've got it. Exactly. That's exactly where I come in. Charles will be anybody where there's a, where there's a transfer of wealth. There will be a surrounding of advisors. Of course there will be. And of course there should be wealth advisors, lawyers, you know, the, the, the full panoply of people come in to support that person. But yes, absolutely. Where I step in is, well, how are you? You know, and, and, and also where I come in is I have no personal investment on, on what you do now. I just want you to, I just want you to be congruent with, with what your wishes and desires are. I just want you to be, I want you to have peace. And yes, of course, with any transfer of wealth, there's the potential for the, for, for the issues to come in that you're not expecting. You know, be it as you're flagging up with, with Charles with a bereavement, however much that might be expected in a lady of 96 years old. I don't suppose anybody thought she was, she was necessarily going to die yesterday, you know, my time yesterday. So there's going to be the, all, the, all the accompanying shock and distress to encounter. Same with selling a business, same with getting a divorce, same with being in receipt of a lifetime gift. You know, the, these things can be really loaded, really, really loaded. And people often don't know how to make sense of them personally. I've, I've been thinking about this conversation with you this evening, and I thought maybe it would be helpful to illustrate some things that I've, uh, some issues that I've worked with. And, and I, I absolutely want to prefix anything I say now with the fact that I keep everything 100% confidential that clients tell me. So anything I say is not about a particular person. So what I've done is I've created scenarios to exemplify the kinds of things that, that I work with. Would that be helpful if I were to run through a couple of things like inheritance? Yeah, I was going that, yeah. to, this is perfect because I was going to ask, what are some common threads that you see over and over again? What are some yeah. fact patterns that repeat themselves within your clientele so that maybe we could extract some learnings from that? Yes, absolutely. So, so the, the most common things that I work with are inheritance, intergenerational wealth transfer, and people selling businesses. That they're the most common things. They're not the only things, but they're the, the, yeah, they're the, they're the kind of the bedrock of my practice. So, so yeah, so, so as we're talking about uh, what happened in, in England in the last 24 hours, inheritance would absolutely be something that I'd like to, 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 to talk about a bit more. Um, so inheritance, well, obviously this can denote a massive change in a person's life and with it would, would come the grief of a bereavement. And I, and again, as I said, this isn't about a real person, but I'd written it as a little story because it's a, it's a good way to illustrate it. I had a young client who was in receipt of a tsunami of wealth that he nearly drowned in. He gave up his job, which he loved. And, and the job also gave him a vibrant social life. He had very, very good relationships with colleagues. And instead he started to sleep in late, watch daytime TV and did lots of pointless internet shopping. By the time he came to me, I would say he was stuck in a bereavement pattern because what I've just described is a pretty common bereavement pattern. 
which then tipped into a pattern of spending that I would call almost addiction-like. It was certainly destructive, if not quite addictive, buying loads of things that he didn't really want or need, and he kind of felt lost, lost in it by the time he came to me. I would say that he was destabilized by the inheritance, which he expected to come when he was much older. And by then, the sum of money that he inherited would have been considerably diluted. Uh, He had a welter of conflicting emotions with the loss of a parent making this inheritance available to him. Though we believe that money can make us happy, and indeed, it can make life easier. And it can make some people happy, but it can also throw people completely off course, especially if somebody is young, if you're a young inheritor. And you, you're, you're not in a position yet in life to know how you want to be with money. So there was a true story of transformation through, through therapy. And crucially, over time, his, he reined in his spending And he got to grips with what he really wanted to do with the money and appointed a lawyer who put him in touch with an excellent financial advisor. And where where I believe I was useful was he would discuss different people with me. Oh, I've met this lawyer. She seems fine. Uh, But I was a bit concerned about these aspects. And we would discuss and debrief. Oh, and this lawyer's. And now now I've met a lawyer that I feel much more comfortable with. And now they've suggested a financial advisor. And they seem fine or they don't seem fine. So we, we between us, I, I, I guess I could describe it, Brian, as I accompanied him on a journey of finding the right people, gathering the right people about him as somebody with no axe to grind myself. I don't mind who he goes with. As I say, I just want him to have peace in his heart, really. So he bought, he ended up buying rental properties uh, that he gets a steady income from now. As I say, he's reined in all the destructive behavior, the bereavement aspect has, has gone down and he's got himself a job, which although he doesn't need the salary, it brings back structure into his life, brings meaning, purpose into his life and self-worth as well. And the respect of his new partner that he's met because the partner coming home in the evening to see her boyfriend who hadn't been out doing anything all day. She didn't have that much respect for him. So he's regained self-respect. He's reconnected with the world of work. So that, that's a, an idea of, of what can happen in, in, in inheritance counselling. Um, I, hope that, I hope that makes some kind of, of sense to you in, what, in how I've described it. I mean, please, please ask me if something doesn't make sense. To no, it, 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 it does. And it's certainly a fact pattern that we hear about often. And my, my question for you is, is to what extent do you think the issue is that there needs to be a sense of self identity beyond just the money? Because it seems like when the, when the money is the only thing that defines you, there's a spiral into self-hatred, destructive behavior, depression, and a, a drifting almost into the world. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It can't be the only thing that defines you. And 
the, the three words that are the basic tenets of my practice, Brian, are meaning, purpose, and structure. And if your wealth holding has stripped you of any of these, I think you're screwed because then you are only about the money. That's, that's, that's all of who you are. You know, we need to be more multidimensional than that. Yes, it's an important factor, as I said before, but it's not, it's not what you should only be considering about yourself. And, and unless you have meaning, purpose and structure via things that aren't work and the things I tend to think of really are family or, or hobbies, you need to be doing something constructive during the day. I, that's what I would always advise somebody to do. Always, always keep, keep involved with something that, that, that blows your hair back, really. Otherwise, yeah, you are circling the drain, aren't you? As, as you've just described, of depression, of addictions, because your belief in yourself is really, really flattened. And there's, there's no reason why wealth holding should do that to you. There's no good reason why wealth holding should do that to you. There's always options, but people might not see them alone. They might not see them. I, I tell my children in more simplistic terms, because they're little still, but success in whatever you're pursuing does not equal happiness. Because I've seen many times, there's an old adage, the investment banking world in America that the saddest person in town is the one that just sold their company for $50 million. Oh, uh, yeah. Because the pursuit was their happiness and they achieved this goal that they had been chasing for a long time. And when they hit it and the money comes to the bank account and they wake up with nothing to do, it can get pretty scary and dark for those people pretty quickly. Yes, 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 100%. And my favorite time to start working with somebody around selling a business is a year before they, they sell, a, a year before they go to market. If in fact they do go to market, it might be that they're, they're approached and they don't need to go to market, but a, at least a year before to start looking at who you're going to be on the other side of this. Who do you want to be on the other side of this? It's, it's the same as retirement. It's the same thing. Who do you want to be in retirement? Because the business has defined you for a long time. Uh, as you say, the saddest person in town can be the person who's just sold their business for a huge amount of money. What well, there's, what, this, what, yeah. there's that There's that litmus test of when you're at a cocktail party and somebody asks you what you do, and if your response for the majority of your life was whatever you do for work or whatever company you're involved in, your position, and when that goes away, you know, it's not a very healthy thing for your for your mental awareness, and it can really hurt people. So let's talk a little bit more granular. The work you do, say you engage with somebody a year out from a liquidity event, what's the, what is the work that you do and where have you found people to be successful on the other side yes. of that type of transaction? Yes. Yeah. So it takes, it takes a lot of soul searching about what you want to do and who you want to be. And, and you're absolutely... You're absolutely on the same page as me with this. There can be a real sense of loss uh, in selling a business and adjustments absolutely required. It, it doesn't 
necessarily make logical sense, but people can feel completely bereft. And it should be fantastic, shouldn't it? It should be absolutely fantastic. More time and more money. You'd think that's what everybody wants. But what do people do? What do people do then? And when advisors say, whichever advisor it is, well, you needn't work again, which is meant as a very good thing. And I think that that's a kind of projection coming from the advisor. The advisor might not ever want to work again if they had the opportunity not to. The, the belief that everybody wants to hear, you don't have to do anything again, I think is, is, is a mistaken belief because it can, it can have the effect of pulling the rug out from under somebody. Well, yeah, well, well, what, do I, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do now? And I've seen people in crisis with that rug being pulled away. It's possible that the, it might be more, or it's likely perhaps that it might be more advantageous not to be working to continue earning. But it's crucial to start looking at what you might want to do, what's going to make you get up in the morning to, once, you've, once you've sold the business. I remember working with somebody that, to whom this was said, you needn't work again. And just that statement upon selling his business, I mean, just that statement for this particular person just kind of stopped him in his tracks in every respect. As a hobby, he'd been a landscape painter for years and just stopped, stopped, he stopped painting. He couldn't get back to his art. He no longer blogged about art galleries, which he loved doing. And he certainly didn't want the stress of setting up another business, kept taking trip after trip away, after another trip, after another trip. But the trouble is, Brian, you take yourself with you wherever you go. And I, I learned over time that you, you know, people, that this going, that this going away that this person did, constantly going away on trips, was trying to escape this, what do I do now? What do I do now? Who am I now? What am I trying to do now? One day in our work together, I said to him, at what point in your life did you feel most alive? And what was it that made you feel most alive? And it turned out that volunteering for an aviation organization, uh, uh, an NGO, uh, had, that made food drops into famine situations was the time at his life when he felt most juicy, most lively. And he's now back with that organization, but in a trustee role. And he's, in, and he's investing in the NGO. And he's, he's taken his inestimable financial knowledge to help that organization. He's very committed and, well, his life force has returned really now. It didn't take much. It didn't take much to turn, to turn the thing around. It's just people tapping into their innate knowledge of themselves, their innate memories of themselves. What do I enjoy? What do I like? If your life has been about building the business, it's easy to forget. What else makes you feel alive? Because the business has provided that to you for you for so for so long. There's always more. There's always more. It's just asking the right questions to unlock that's that's required to unlock what there is. Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Take the next step by joining the Capital Club, an affinity peer-to-peer -peer network of industry professionals organized by Excelsior Capital. 
you'll gain access to exclusive alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, private events, and more. Visit excelsiorgp.com slash Capital Club Podcast for more information and to sign up today. So self-reflection, being, yeah. op- being open and vulnerable to a professional teasing these things out from you. It, it sounds yeah. like where I've had mentors or people 10, 20 years, I'm 40, older than me, talk about the empty nest syndrome and, and just the, the words we use and the framework that our culture puts on it. And we really need to push against that and almost flip the dynamic because your children leaving the home should be a success story. It should be celebrated because you've done your job, you've done the work, <laughs> and it's just the next chapter of life. And it seems like a pretty apt parallel here where if you built the company to sell it, you have the liquidity event, you should be celebrating, but you also should be, should be preparing for that inevitability of what's on the other end of that. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Always, always, always looking ahead. Yeah. Oh God, emptiness, emptiness syndrome is, I, I, I think other than bereavement, Brian, I think emptiness syndrome is the most bereft that I've seen people. And as you said, the, the person who sold their business for a large sum, but don't know what to do with themselves. So what it, are some, if people are listening to this conversation yeah. and examining their own behavior, what are some red flags? What are some things that if they're being honest with themselves, they are behaviors that they should start monitoring and considering making some changes in their life so that they can deal with this inevitability of this season of life ending at another one beginning? I would say always remaining in your integrity is essential. And what I mean by that is not integrity in the way that the words usually used. The way I mean it is always being authentic with yourself about who you are at your core and what's important to you in your heart. Yes, of course, with, you know, Anybody in business is very right, leads with their brain. That's right. That's exactly where they should be, up in their heads, driving things forward. No problem with that at all. That's exactly where they should be. But I would say always, always tap into what's important in your heart, in your, by your heart, I mean your core. You know, there's a, lovely, um, there's a lovely quote. Let me just see if I can capture it from, do you know the book, The Little Prince? Sure. There's, there's, a, there's a lovely quote that's, um, it is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. And that's something I would always work with, that, that principle I would always work with, with a person. If you're truthful and honest to your core, if you're authentic to what you're, you really want in life, and especially about what serves you well, and what doesn't serve you well, the flow of energy in your life will occur. I have no doubt about that. If you're kidding yourself about who you are and trying to twist yourself into a pretzel shape to accommodate the business or accommodate the rest of the board or accommodate your family, that energy will hit a logjam and become stagnant. So I would say always keep an eye on being authentic with yourself. And another thing I'd always say is trust your intuition. 
really trust your intuition. I don't just mean your business instinct. I hope you've been trusting those whoever's listening for a long time by now. But trust your intuition. It's, it's your mind can throw you off course sometimes. I think about, about who you are. I, I suppose simply put, if, if something looks like an elephant and smells like an elephant to you, it's an elephant. Don't tell yourself it's a pussycat to please others. I suppose the, the upshot is just always, always, always be true to the core of yourself. And that way, you're not going to get into a position when you sell your business of thinking, geez, what do I do now? What, you know, who am I once I've sold this business? Because you'll know. You'll know. Why do you think it is that people typically have very good tax professionals, investment professionals, bankers, accountants, et cetera, but they don't feel it necessary to have somebody like you on retainer? to help with the other side of life, their, their mental health, their mental wellness. Is that a social stigma? Do you think it's cultural? I think it has been cultural and a, a social stigma. I think in the commercial world, whereas it's perfectly, perfectly acceptable and perfectly normal to have your, your personal trainer and maybe your nutritionist and you know, the, the, those, those people around you. Having your wealth counsellor, having your counsellor at all, I, I've, seen, I've seen it flourish with people who've worked in, in the, the city, who've come over from Wall Street. It, that seems to be culturally very acceptable that you have your counsellor. And I've, I've known people land in London and set themselves up with all three, the, their counsellor, their, their, you know, their personal trainer. Etc. That, that that just seems to be completely normal, but not not generally. Uh, I don't know that the value has been seen widely of having an impartial person to be a sounding board with. Impartial, just having somebody on your team to chew things through with. I don't think. I I I think it's also still relatively new. Certainly new in the UK. I mean, the, my clients, mostly not UK-based, Brian, uh, for wealth counselling. Uh, I'd say half my wealth counselling clients are UK-based. And that's, um, it, this is an opportunity that COVID has given me because I transferred all my work online. So I'm not solely working with people in the city now. I'm working with people in the States and the United Arab Emirates now. So that's, that's a benefit that, that COVID has brought me. I think as anything to do with therapy, the UK is a little bit behind the USA. Yeah, I would, I would think like everything on Wall Street, if, if people thought that they could gain an edge and optimize their performance, they will do it, right? And that show Billions was probably a catalyst for a lot of people to start thinking about having professionals on retainer internally to help their professionals work through whatever issue that they have to work through. And that's, that's interesting about the difference between UK and non-UK in terms of your client um, base. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And my USA clients seem more naturally willing to talk about their wealth holding. I don't notice, or so far I haven't experienced the, I'm going to flag up uncomfortable things, shame and guilt. 
that I notice sometimes in, in British clients, real discomfort. Uh, and I, I think this is a cultural thing. I, I, I really hope that this will pass at some time soon. But part of my work with some British clients has been to, uh, to process with them their way through shame and guilt that they feel around, around wealth holding. What's, what's best practice in your opinion? How, how often, what's the regimen? What's the kind of typical schedule that you have with professionals? Typical schedule is usually starts out at a session every fortnight. Um, and then it depends really on, on matching diaries. It can stay at once a fortnight for a session and sometimes broadens out to three weeks or a month. I really don't like sessions to go beyond, uh, you know, having a month's gap because then, you know, think we can go off the boil really if, the, if, the, if it's too long, but two to three week sessions. Uh, and then how lot, for how long that's a piece of string that depends on the issues that the, that my client would bring really. And so what about yourself? I know oftentimes within the professions that we kind of mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's best practice for a therapist to have a therapist. Oh, yes. what, what do you do in your own personal life to find equilibrium, to find peace? Well, first of all, I'll address what you directly asked. Yes, I have a therapist and I have what we call in, in my profession, a supervisor. And the word supervisor is, is different to how it is in, in other commercial practice. This isn't somebody looking over my shoulder to make sure I'm doing it right. This is someone that I have through my entire career uh, with me. Who, because because therapists work on their own, this is somebody with whom I can confidentially debrief how I'm working with somebody. Uh, any issues that I might want to to discuss about how I am the client, things that the client is saying to me, and my supervisor will have her therapist and her supervisor. So there's always a chain within within any psychotherapeutic practice uh, like that. So that's, that's the uh, formal, that's the formal thing, the formal aspect. The, the less formal is that COVID kind of, the last two years of COVID focused me very, very clearly on what's important. Uh, and I think it did for a lot of people. What's, what's essential for me? And I've learned that there's an awful lot that I was doing pre-COVID that now feels a bit like a waste of time. What keeps me afloat is caring for my 91-year-old mum who is made of love and inspires me unerringly. Being in touch with friends, God, that's very, very important. Making sure that I get to the ocean whenever I can and making sure that I see art whenever I can. The rest now feels a bit like window dressing, but those are the things that keep me keep my head on the right way around. And it's important that I keep my head on the right way around because people rely on me to be stable and clear-sighted and clear-thinking, and especially through the last couple of years. Well, Amanda, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. It's been terrific. If people are interested in learning more about your practice, your service areas, your subject matter expertise, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Best way to get in touch with me is via my website, which is psychotherapycity.co.uk and my email address, which is visible on the website, 
is amanda at psychotherapycity.co.uk. And I'll say you've got some great resources and content on the website. So I definitely encourage people to go and check it out. And so Amanda, thank you again for coming on. It was a ton of fun and, and really engaging conversation. And for our listeners, don't forget to leave us a review and let us know your favorite part of today's episode. Amanda, thank you again for taking the time, which is late in your part of the world. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been a joy for me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.